Well, when I was in the 10th grade, my English teacher handed out a list, and on it was a list of multiple biographies. And for this assignment she was giving us, we were to choose one biography book off the list, and we had to write a report. I chose the book called The Hiding Place, and it was about a woman named Corrie ten Boom. Now, Corrie ten Boom, she was born in the Netherlands to a family that loved God. Her dad was a watchmaker. In fact, when she grew up, she got, was the first female ever licensed in, licensed in the Netherlands to work on watches. And so her and her dad worked in the family shop together. When World War II started in 1939, the country had decided, the Netherlands, we don't want to get involved. But that all changed in May of 1940 when the Germans invaded the Netherlands. And see, Corey's family, they had been hearing rumors of what it was happening to Jewish people prior to the invasion. And then they began to see it happen where they lived and in their country. So they created this spare bedroom that was behind a bedroom, so you couldn't see it. And they would hide Jews there. In fact, it, it was such a way that it was like when Jews would, were hiding, they would stay there and um, hang out during the day. And then when the they, Nazis would come in to do a raid, they would buzz a bell in the front of the store, and that they would know, go run to that special room that's hidden. They did this for four years. It's estimated they say the lives of over 800 people because of what they did. But in 1944, a neighbor ratted them out. And they were raided. They took her entire family and anyone that they believed to be part of this ring that was saving Jews, they sent them all to concentration camps. And what I remember about reading this book when I was in 10th grade, I was 15 years old. I remember reading how she described her horrific circumstances that were going on around her. And what I was most surprised by is the hope and strength that she managed to have amidst that hard, hard circumstances. Now, I told you I had to write a report. And the way you had to write a report was, beside every book on that list, there was a person that lived in the Atlanta area. And this person had firsthand knowledge of whatever it was that your person, the biography, had experienced. So my person, Corey, had experienced the Holocaust. So the gentleman that I went to interview, his name is Matthew Nesbitt, he had firsthand knowledge because he was on a team of guys that flew out of Britain and they liberated the first two concentration camps. And when I interviewed him and my dad was there and we were asking him questions, it was over 40 years after this had happened. But what was amazing to me, the way he told the stories and the expression on his face, and he was remembering it was like he was there again and like it was yesterday. And as I listened to him, what I thought to myself was this. Corey was not a victim of her circumstances. She was a victor over her circumstances, and she completely understood and knew what Paul meant when he wrote, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. She got it and she lived it in that bunker and she shared that strength with every lady in there. And so this morning, we're going to talk about this verse that's often misused. And what in the world did Paul mean? And before we do that, let me open us up in prayer. God, we love you. And I have been praying all week for our time this morning. God, I am praying that you would write this truth in our heart and that we would walk out of here and we would own it. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear. God, we love you. Thank you for what you are going to do here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.
Well, like James said in the video, we are wrapping up the book of Philippians, and we are in chapter 4. And for some reason, this verse, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but sometimes people have prayed it when they're on a sporting event. They're about to go out on the field. I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. I remember when I was first married, my husband told me this story. He's an avid water skier. And he was at a competition, and one of the top competitors, he had an opportunity to meet him. And he saw his water skis, and on one water ski, he had the word fill, and on the other one, he had 413. It was as if that was a reminder. He just seemed to think, if I remember this, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can win this competition. And I want you to know, this is not what Paul is talking about at all. Look, if you will, at verse 10 in chapter 4. And Paul starts out this way. He says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. And let me catch this up and let me make sure everybody knows what's going on here. Paul is in Rome in a jail. He's in a prison cell. He is chained to a Roman guard. He can write letters. He can send letters. People can come and visit him, but he cannot leave. Now, 10 years prior to this, Paul went to Philippi, and he started a church there. And these people loved him. And so when Paul left there to go to Thessalonica and to go to Berea and to go to Athens to tell others about Jesus, they got what he was doing. And so they sent him money at every city he was going to. They found a way to get money to him. So he would not have to worry about food or shelter, but he could do the very thing that God had called him to do. But somewhere around after Athens, they they just lost track of him. There was no internet. There was no phone service. So the only reason, only way they could find out where he was was by foot and word of mouth. And so usually by the time someone came back and said, hey, we saw Paul, he had already left that city. But somehow, word got back to the Philippians. Paul is in prison, and he's in great need. So they went to their church because they loved Paul. He taught them about Jesus. And they took a big offering. And so they gave this gift to Epaphroditus, and he took it back to Paul and said, this is from the Philippians. They love you. And I want to tell you in this verse, Paul, he rejoiced greatly. In fact, later on in this chapter, he says, it was so good of you to share my troubles. And Paul wasn't angry at them. He knew that they loved him. But he, and he knew they had no way of knowing where he was or they would have shown their concern for him much sooner than this. And I thought about when they came with that gift. I don't know about you, but there are just some people in my life that I just love. And when I haven't seen them for many years and somehow we contact each other, we run into each other, it's like we start talking, it's like there was never any space in between. You know those kind of friendships I'm talking about? And I just imagine that when Paul got this gift, I mean, the gift was nice, but it was so how they loved him and they remembered him and they were being obedient to what God was telling them to do. That blessed his heart. When we were first married, I had the opportunity to disciple about 12 juniors and seniors in high school. And I want to tell you, these girls were amazing. In fact, when we were spending time together for about two years, the whole time I kept thinking, this is a unique group, Susie. I don't know when you'll get to sit with people like this again. And as I was thinking back over this, I received a message this week on Facebook from one of those girls who now is not a girl. She's a woman with three children. And she was just sharing with me 
how her pastor was teaching about a specific topic and she remembered 20 years earlier had we had talked about that and she just spent a few moments telling me what God had done in her heart through that Bible study. And it was so thrilling to me. And I thought that must be how Paul felt just to know, I knew they loved me, but man, it's so good to hear from them. It's so good to see that I am still on their mind after all these years. Now, Paul's a teacher. So he's written this letter and he has their attention. And there's a, a teachable moment that he wants to tell them because he wants to talk to them about being content because he's learned something and he can help them. Now, I wonder this morning, if we were to do a show of hands, how many of us have ever struggled with contentment? Yeah, I know, I'm with you, me too. In fact, I was thinking about this. A couple of years ago, one of my friends, they got this big house. And, I, and we looked up online, because they just bought it like from a real estate agent so we could see the picture. And I remember telling my children, stay close or I might never see you again. Like, that's how big it was. And so, as I was driving to see this ginormous house, I live in a 30-year-old house. I really like my house, but I know how I roll. You see, sometimes when other people get something that's shinier and smells all new, all of a sudden my house doesn't seem so great and I can become discontent. So the whole way there, I just began to pray. Lord, I know how I am. Do not let me come and see this house and become discontent with mine. I need you to help me with this because you know how I am. We see this house, we stay for dinner, and it really is amazing. And as we walk out, I'm driving back and I'm talking to the Lord and I start smiling. And I said, Lord, I love their house, but I want to tell you, I am so thankful for mine because it would take me a week to clean that one. And by the time I got finished, I'd have to start back. It'd be Monday and I'd have to keep going. But Paul wants to talk to them about being content. And he starts out in verse 11. He says this, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. So he's not saying, hey, I rejoice because you're gift because I'm in need. He said, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstance is. Now, I want to remind you, before Paul met Jesus, he was very wealthy, very affluent. And after he met Jesus, we can see in 2 Corinthians, when we read the New Testament, I mean, he was beaten near to death. He was whipped. He was like thrown stones at. I had to explain stone to somebody earlier. Rocks, not drugs. And he was shipwrecked. He was set adrift. He had people chasing him out of cities. He had Gentiles that hated him. He had Jewish people that hated him. I'm just telling you, he had all kinds of things going on. See, Paul had lived in both places. And yet here this man is saying, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Now this word learn, it means to learn by experience. See, Paul didn't meet Jesus and then all of a sudden know how to be content. It was a process. It was over several years, several experiences of learning how to be content. Now this word content is really curious in the Greek because it means this. It's a description of a man whose resources are within him so he does not have to depend on substitutes. A description of a man whose resources are within him so he does not have to depend on substitutes. It's this idea of being sustained from the inside out. See, Paul had everything he needed for any and every situation because Christ lived in him. See, Paul understood that to be content, it was about Christ's sufficiency and not his. Christ's sufficiency and not self-sufficiency. Now, this verse also speaks to something else. It speaks to Paul's confidence in Christ's provision for him. See, it didn't matter what the circumstances were. He was 
totally convinced that no matter what, Christ would take care of him. He would provide for him. If he was hungry, he would give him food or he'd give him the strength to go without it. But he had no doubt that no matter what, whatever circumstance I find myself in, Christ will provide for me. Then he goes on in verse 12. He says, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. D.A. Carson says the secret of contentment is not living, learning how to live in posh circumstances or learning how to live in deprived circumstances, but the secret is to learn how to live in both. And I wonder today, if you were to think, look at your life and think for a second, where would you be at? Would you be on this side of contentment saying, I just, I would be happier if I could have this, 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 and this? Because your contentment to you is, you're thinking about is what you don't have. And or would you be over here and you say, I have more than I need. And what you find is the more that you need keeps you from relying on Christ. You see, either way, you're discontent. You're discontent because you don't have what you want. Or you're discontent because you put so much faith and trust in what you have that you forget about God. Now, this word learned in verse 12, it's different than verse 11. Now, verse 11 was learning by experience. Now, this word learned the secret it actually is a pagan term they use in religion. And it means initiated into the secret or the hidden things. You see, Paul, because of his experiences, he had learned the secret. And he wanted to share it with the Philippians because he loved them. Because he thought, if I can teach this to you, wow, it's a game changer. It's a game changer for you. You know, my husband this week, he was talking with one of our friends, Travis, over breakfast. And somehow they got on the topic of contentment. And Glenn came home and he goes, you know, we just started thinking about contentment. And you know what we were thinking is that contentment in your life, it changes with your age. So like, for example, at 18, what makes you content is different than when you're 25. And at 25, what makes you content is different than when you're 35 and kid, with kids. So that is why for us this morning, it's so important because our contentment is going to keep changing and it's so important that, like Paul, that we figure out how to be content as part from our circumstances. Because with Paul, his circumstances did not determine whether he was content or not. Now, I don't know about you when it comes to being discontent. For me, a couple things happen. I find that when I become discontent in one area, it can really cause other areas for me to see that I'm not happy with those either. It's kind of like a domino effect. And the other thing about discontent I've noticed is that it steals my joy and somehow it manages to just jack me all up with God. Because somehow I feel like he's supposed to be doing something for me or getting me something because I'm discontent. And I've got to work that out with him. So here Paul is. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it's to, to want something, to have something. I know what it's to be hungry. I know what it is to be well fed. And then he says in verse 13, this is the secret. He says, I can do all things through him, and that's Christ, who gives me strength. And I want you to know, the strength that he's talking about, it's when you need it. And the strength that he's talking about, it is present day, it's continual, and it's ongoing. It's not like you can only tap into Christ's strength once a day. It's not like that. And the strength that Paul talks about, it's strength that comes to us from the inside out, through our inner man. 
You know, when I read this, because of the way I'm wired, I say, well, he says, I can do all things. What would be all things? Because I want to know. Is it just certain things or is it all things? Let me give you a few examples, and this is not the exhaustive list because I need to tell you all things really is all things. But here's a couple of examples. The first one is this. Whatever God has called you to do, Christ's strength is enough. Whatever he's called you to do in this season, in this lifetime, in this month, he has the strength for you to do it. And it doesn't matter what the enemy says or if he tells you you're inadequate or he tries to cover you with fear. Here's what I'm telling you. If you are in Christ Jesus, Christ's strength is enough for you. Charles Spurgeon, he says this. He says, Paul felt that he was well qualified for any duty which might be laid upon him because of the strength which Christ would surely give. I am persuaded there is no work to which a Christian can be called for which he will not be found well qualified. You see, as he calls you, he qualifies you. He gives you what you need to do the very thing he's asked you to do. Isn't that amazing? I want to tell you, I knew I was teaching this week. Everybody else is gone. So it's me. And as I began to prepare for this weeks ago, I don't know what happened, but about 10 days ago, it just kind of got really crazy in my life. And so the first of this week, I, I literally started to not feel very well. And I began to think, when was the last time I felt like this? And just so you know, last time I felt like this was when I taught a specific lesson two and a half years ago. And so on Tuesday, I woke up and I had two ladies, independent, they contacted me. And, and they both said the same thing. One of the ladies wrote and she said, when God brings you to mind, I want you to know that I pray for you. But for some reason, he's bringing you to mind a lot. I hope nothing is seriously wrong. And I, I laughed and I kind of teared up because I was so happy that the Lord had put me on someone's heart. And I wrote her back and I said, well, I have to tell you, there's a little bit of irony in me right now because I'm teaching on Christ's strength this weekend and I'm not sure I'll make it to Friday. Please pray. And what was so interesting is as the week progressed, I'm not kidding with you, it just, just felt like all week someone has been something or someone has been sitting on my chest. It's been hard to breathe. I woke up every night this week at a random time for multiple hours. It was so frustrating. But the good news is I was able to pray for our Burkina Faso and Nicaragua teams for hours. So what he meant for evil, God turned right around, right? So all this pressure, and as I, the week goes by, so by Thursday, I'm really lit. It just really hurts. It's uncomfortable to breathe. So I get in the bed, and this whole time I'm praying and talking to God, because I'm telling you, I really believe Christ's strength is enough. I've experienced it before. So I get in the bed on Thursday night, and I say, I don't know what you're going to do, but I need, I need you to strengthen me. Because I am telling you, I just don't feel good. And when you don't feel good, I don't know about you, it literally changes my whole outlook on stuff. It makes it easier for the enemy to attack me. I don't think it's clear. So on Thursday morning, Friday morning, excuse me, I, I got up and I texted a couple of friends and I said, this is what's going on, you should pray for me. And the most curious thing happened. The pain level in my body began to go down a little bit. But that wasn't what was so interesting. What was so interesting is the strengthening that was going on inside of me. So my chest was still hurting. But now all of a sudden, I had this inner strength that was rising up in me ever since Friday. And even though I was physically hurting, it was not dominating me. It was not my focus. Because Christ was strengthening me from the inside out. And whatever he's called you to do, I'm here to tell you, his strength will always be enough. You've got to press in. And sometimes you've got to pray. You can't just get it and the next day you get it. You, I was been praying since Monday. And he shows up on Friday 
But I'm telling you, at every turn, Christ's strength is enough. Something else, whatever trial or circumstance you find yourself in, Christ's strength is enough. And I'm telling you, I know there are some in the room and you're like, I hear you, that is, sounds so good. I just don't believe it's true. I'm telling you, it is. If you have a hard marriage, you come find me or my husband after the service and he will tell you Christ's strength is enough. Because he is married to me. We've been married 20, over 20 years and I, we didn't have a song and that really bothered me because every couple is supposed to have a song, or at least I think that. So I came home after 20 years of marriage and I said, I have found our song. He said, really, what is it? I said, it's by Bon Jovi. It's called Living on a Prayer. And I said, there's that chorus where he says, take my hand, we'll make it, I swear. I, I said, that's us. Because sometimes in our marriage, we just take turns when things are really hard. Because sometimes marriage gets hard. And you just aren't sure if you want to stick around. And we just, God has always allowed us to take turns. Come on, baby, we can do this. Or maybe I'm saying, listen, I'm telling you, we can do this. God can do miracles with me, just you wait. I'm telling you, whatever your trials or circumstances are, he's enough. I mean, Paul is writing this, and he's been through all kinds of stuff, prison and beating and just all kinds of crazy things that's happened to his life, and yet he can still write this with every bit of his heart and say, I know I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me every time. Corey Ten Boom, you know, when she was in that concentration camp, she loved God, and even though... These people had her in this concentration camp, these, these German soldiers. She knew that she was supposed to love her enemy. And I love what she says. She says, when Jesus tells us to love our enemies, he gives us, along with a command, the very strength and love to do it. And I have found that to be true in my own life. I thought about four weeks ago about our Burkina Faso team and our Nicaragua team, because there are some people on that team, never been out of the country, never done anything like this. And I just smiled because I thought, Jesus, they are going to learn about your strength this next week. And they're going to find that the crazy things, that situations you put them in, you're going to give them enough strength to do it. And they are going to experience Jesus in a new way. And I really believe when my friends get back today and they land at 2.30 and 12.30 and I get to talk to them, that's what they're going to tell me. You would not believe how I experienced Jesus. Several weeks ago, I had the opportunity to sit down with a woman and she just told me a little bit about her story. And I called her this week or I texted her this week and said, hey, I, I wanted to tell a part of your story. Would that be okay? And she said, yes. Now my friend, um, she, both her parents, when she was born, they were drug addicts. And they got divorced and her dad cleaned up. And so she ended up living with her dad, but she had the ability to go see her mom every summer for like a week. And there's probably a few other times. But when she was 12 years old, her and her brother went to visit her mother, and she was living with her boyfriend, and she had just had a baby. And the baby was crying. So my friend said, hey, why don't you just let me pick the baby up? I think that would make the baby stop crying. Well, something about that just set this boyfriend off. And somehow he managed to get my friend's arm wedged in a door frame of a closet, and he proceeded to slam the closet door on her arm to try to break it. He was just so mad she had said something. She managed to get free, and she looked at her mom, and she said, are you going to let him treat me like that? And her response was, well, you shouldn't have made him mad. My friend packed her bag. She packed her brother, brother's bags. They walked two miles. They were in front of a Walmart. They asked people for change. She called her dad. 
sat there for her dad to come get there. It took him two hours. She said, the whole time we were sitting there, my mom never came once to look for us. So I left that place and I was done with her. What kind of mom would do that? 15 years go by, fast forward to about 2009, 2010, and God begins to talk to her. Because she loves Jesus, she follows him. And he tells us thing, things when we're ready to hear him. And he says to her, you, you know you have unforgiveness in your heart towards your mom. You, you need to forgive her. You need to tell her that. And she was like, yeah, I don't, you know that feeling when you're like, okay, I can't do that. Clearly, you know, it's like if you asked me to run 20 miles today, clearly I can't do that, right? That's not going to happen. And it was that same kind of feeling like, okay, I, I got nothing. But she, she loves Jesus. She began to pray. And, and somehow, she, she made, they managed to find her mom for a brief time, but, this whole, but then she left again and she didn't know where she went. But this whole time, he's working on her heart. Because this hard thing that he's asked her to do, she's going to figure out Christ's strength is enough. So last year, she gets a phone call from her aunt. That's the mother's sister. And her aunt says, listen, I know where your mom is. She's at Grady Hospital in the burn unit. Her boyfriend set her on fire. Do you want to go with me to see her? She said, I want to go. I just know this feeling. She pulls in and she's about to walk in the hospital. And she just thinks, how in the world am I going to do this? But she knew she was supposed to do this. I mean, sometimes, y'all, it is putting one foot in front of the other. But every time, Christ's strength is enough. She goes in the hospital room. The mom's first thing out of her mouth was, what are you doing here? And the conversation just kind of kept going like that. Nothing warm and fuzzy. Nothing, I'm so sorry. But somewhere in there, my friend managed to tell her mother, I want you to know, I forgive you and I love you. She walked out of the hospital. She said, I was filled with peace and I was free. Because it doesn't matter what the adverse, the hard circumstance in. When you're in the middle of that, I need you to know, if you know Jesus, he's in the middle with you. And you have everything you need to meet the demands of life because Christ's strength, he's enough. He is enough at every turn. He's enough. Let me tell you something else. Whatever struggles you have with sin or temptation, I need you to know, Christ's strength is enough. You know, sometimes we have these areas in our life, and they're not pretty, but we don't think to ourselves, oh, they're super big sins. We just think, oh, that's a small thing. I'm just going to let that go. So maybe, maybe you have road rage. Maybe you lie a lot. Maybe you have a temper. Maybe you struggle being nice to people. Whatever your little things are. But Paul is saying whatever it is that you struggle with, I need you to know Christ's strength is enough. Charles Spurgeon says this, there's no weakness or evil propensity which the Christian cannot overcome. You see, the secret Paul's talking about is nothing about our strength. Living in my own strength, that's not a secret. It's living in Christ's strength. That is the secret. And when we are struggling with sin and temptation and we're having those moments and we're just like, oh, I don't think I can do this. It's his strength through us. 
And I want you to know, I have known people in my life that when they met Jesus, they instantly, all that stuff that was icky about them, all those bad things they were doing, they were able to walk away from it all. And I want you to know, that has never been my truth at all for me. Everything that the Lord has convicted me on, that I am like, okay, I need to learn not to do that. Okay, I need to, God help me change this. Every single thing, it is by his strength that has happened. It is by his strength. Wearsby says this. He says, all of nature depends on hidden resources. The great trees send their roots down into the earth to draw up water and minerals. Rivers have their sources in snow-capped mountains. The most important part of a tree is the part you cannot see, the root system. And the most important part of the Christian's life is the part that only God sees. Unless we draw on the deep resources of God by faith, we will fail against the pressures of life. So here's what I was thinking about for us this morning. And I told them this on Wednesday. He said, hey, how's it going? And I said, I just don't want this to be a bunch of words. Like, I want you to know this morning, like, this is not true if you've been a Christian for five years or more. This is not true if you're an avid Bible reader. This is the deal. If you would say, I know Jesus, and I would say, Christ's strength is enough for you. Whatever he's called you to do, whatever circumstance you're in, whatever struggles or trials, your temptations you're going through, he is enough at every turn. He's enough. I'm not saying you aren't going to have to press in. You're going to have to press in. But you're going to have to continue to ask him and trust that he's going to give it to you. Because his strength is always enough. But somehow the enemy has us duped into believing, oh yeah, I can't do that. I'll always be this way. And I'm telling you, it's not truth. I found this question. I want to close with it this morning. It's from Charles Spurgeon. And he said this. He said, if the word of God tells us we can do all things, why do you think so many Christians do nothing? It was so convicting to me. I read it late at night and I went, ooh, like out loud. Because I want you to know For a long time, I just thought this Philippians 4.13 was just things you put on, you know, women's handbags and bookmarks and coffee mugs. I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. Like, I didn't get how it really applied to me. But I'm telling you, if you will walk out of here today and you will embrace that truth, and when you come up against something, you just say, you know what? I can't do this on my own strength, but you know what? With Christ, I can do all things because his strength is enough. I'm telling you, you're going to find that's true every single time. But you've got to press in. You've got to press into him. Because my prayer for us this morning, man, we don't, wouldn't be a group of people that do nothing. We'd be a group of people that will do anything because we believe with everything in us that Christ's strength is enough for whatever he's called us to do, for whatever trials or circumstances we are in for whatever sins or temptations we struggle with, every time, into every way, Christ's strength will always be enough. Let me pray for us. God, I just love the fact that the things that you call us to do, things that you put us in, God, you already have given us a way to be victorious over that. God, that you've given us everything we need to do exactly and to live exactly how you've called us to live. God, I pray that you would help us be a people 
who are willing to do anything because we believe, God, we can do all things through you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.